All right. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. This is a show where we explore what's keeping the world from investing in progress, answer the questions on the minds of people in the know, and give you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you desperately crave. Uh, serving up the gayer end of that, I'm Sloan Rotel. And uh, I'm, I'm Ashby Monk. <laughs> and in addition to all that good stuff, we're going to try to make pensions and sovereign funds um, believable. <laughs> believable yeah i mean it's like uh honestly like what, what are, are these they? things you know these organizations that hang out in the middle of nowhere they've what got the all this capital are they real by the end of this podcast <laughs> you will know they are real or we failed well but but you know it, it is it is national coming out day um and right. uh you know i guess it, it behooves me dear audience to come out to you as, as not just a transgender woman but also a windows <sighs> user uh, <laughs> which I, I hope, I hope people are, I hope people are turning off the me. podcast right now. They thought we were tech forward. Yeah. It's, it's just a temporary thing. It, it's just, maybe it's just a phase. I, I just got tired of Linux. It's a whole, you know, but, um, but no, it is uh, a big day, uh, Absolutely. for a lot of people to, to, you know, and, uh, I mean, I think it coincides also with this wonderful Supreme court, uh, moment where uh, the you know the kind of validity of a lot of you know queer and trans and gay folks in the workplace is sort of up for a new Absolutely. debate. Uh, give us give us background on what uh, do we know which cases they've selected to take on? I think we do. Do you have a sense for what are the decisions yeah, that are looming? Uh, so, yeah. So my understanding is that there are three cases. Uh, one that uh, centers on uh, a woman who was working at a funeral home. Um, a trans woman, and she sort of came out to her employer and uh, was like, hey, um, I am trans and I'm going to start changing my presentation. Um, and her employer was like, cool. Two weeks later, she's Oh, fired. interesting. <laughs> you know, and so the question is like, you know, Title IX has been interpreted to, uh, you know, sort of cover gender presentation. That's right. Um because, you know, because the idea is like, look, if you are, you know, going to, you know, police someone for presenting a certain way, you know, that's reinforcing a sex based stereotype, uh, you know, and that is not consistent with the protections granted under Title IX. Uh, conservatives right. hate that argument. <laughs> right. No, I mean, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting question because um, one of the things I saw in reading about this was that uh, over time, the percent of people who identify as LGBTQ is obviously going up as it's becoming more mainstream. But the number of millennials is getting near 10% that identify as one of those things, whereas baby yep. boomers are still kind of under under 3%, under 2.5%. And so, you know, the, the idea that we would be um, – you know, biasing ourselves against nearly 10% of the population, given that there is a day the baby boomers will die and the Gen Xers will die and the millennials will be the, you know, the baseline. It's, it seems insane. From your lips to yeah, right? ears. So, well, it, <laughs> 10%, that's a, that's a, that's a well, big but number. Like, it, it's, it's, you know, it, and I, I think inside of that 10%, right? Like, you know, the scare case is that, you know, the 10% uh, of people identifying as queer in some way, shape, or form, which I use as an umbrella term for the whole kind of LGBTQIA 
you know, community, uh, you know, is some sort of like brainwashing type victory for, you know, the LGBT ideology right. in the way that oh, people interesting. talk about it. Uh, you know, where like, you know, so I think some people see that as like, okay, well, this is a sign of society sickness. Uh, you know, let's try and correct it out so that we don't get, get thoroughly and wholly debased. It's interesting. It's funny you say that because um, there's a bunch of interesting articles today, and I was I was seeing one of these articles that just crossed my 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 net my net searching that showed um, these religious ETFs that are popping up are oh yeah are, you know they are avoiding screening non biblical activities, which includes <laughs> abortion, gambling, alcohol can't believe they include alcohol in there pornography and the lgbt lifestyle and uh i wouldn't say Ah, these these etfs are killing it you know i think the ones listed one had you know a whopping 17 million in aum and the other was 14 or something like that but they exist they exist um and the good news is there are etfs on the other side that are kind of um lbgtq friendly and I don't know the AUMs of those, well, but I'd, I'd be curious. Well, you know, I mean, you're you're bringing up an interesting point, which is that it may be possible for me to short the the home the heterosexual there lifestyle. Is. Yeah, right? interesting. Like, <laughs> well, we could go short the biblical <laughs> ETFs and long the LGBT. There's a hedge fund to be built here, I believe. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like if you, I mean, you know, like I, I'm thinking about like, okay, so the, when there was that straight pride rally, they were like, okay, let's come up with a straight pride flag. Um, you know, which a lot of people proposed as just mm. khaki, you know, like a khaki thing, yeah. you know, and it's like, I'll, I'll take the rainbow over khaki all Absolutely. day long. Uh, dockers, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, dockers and like, well, you know, those like uh, square toed these dudes. Cis, these cisgender uh, dudes out there <laughs> wearing their dockers. The worst. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, like some, 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 I, 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 I'm sure are very good people, but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> but yeah, like, I, you know, I think it's, um, it, it's an interesting thing. Like, you know, I, you know, had this weird coincidence where I, I came out exactly two years before the, the trans, the word transgender was mentioned in the Supreme court for the first time wow. ever. Uh, <laughs> You know, and it's like you think about that. It's like, well, wait a second. Like, is this like unusual or is this kind of normal? Because like, you know, there's so many anniversaries that come with Mm. coming out. You know, the first time you did X, the first time you did Y, the first when you told your mom, when you told your sister, when you told your friends. Those are all different dates. And like, so I realize it's like there's probably like a 10 percent, 12 percent chance that the first time they say transgender in the Supreme Court. I'm going to have some kind of anniversary yeah. <laughs> related to this process on it. You know, it's interesting um, you said, I, I you have know. no clue that the word transgender is that new to the Supreme Court, but it makes sense to me. I mean, the, a lot of the times you really, or at least for me, I grew up in California, so I was kind of a bit more familiar with it. But I think for a lot of people, they go to college and that's the first time they really um, were kind of educated on this entire space. And back then, L, it was just LGB. You know, I can remember yeah. in college that there was no T on that group, and that you know it was a big group, and it was LGB, and um, you know that was that was what it was, and that all the other letters well, came later. Well, and that said, that represents actually a conscious schism uh, on the on the part of some organizers, right? Like, 
you know, the uh, there's still this, um, you know, kind of LGB uh, slate of activists who, who argue for kind of carving off the T, um, you know, because like for, you know, if you think about being, a, you know, a bisexual activist and campaigning for bisexual recognition and laws, yeah, that's a, that's a little less complex than, you know, arguing for uh, transgender recognition and the law at the same time. Um, you know, and so like, I think that the call was made earlier on, uh, you know, in, I think by HRC and others to kind of, you know, focus on, uh, you know, kind of the cis queer, uh, rights thing. And I think that got a change maybe 2008, 2010, but it was like a big deal. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean the thing, the whole, the, you know, the inclusion, uh, as we know it today um is is a pretty new thing i think yeah yeah uh, interesting um do you know one of the things i saw and I just if tell me if this stat is correct but there's over a million same-sex married couples now same-sex married couples i'm pretty I, sure that's this, right yeah i mean that you know there's there's just um it just seems like these bible etfs are going to be in big trouble if they, uh, yeah, this is such a massive community that's growing and only, only getting bigger. Well, you know, I, I do really kind of love the idea that these social questions can play out in the market. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just kind of wonder like what, what is the, you know, the, the natural, like biblical long, that's interesting. you know, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, let's say, let's say I am like a bona fide uh, you know, biblical investor, like I'm, you know, the, uh, you know, the Catholic church's endowment or something like that. And I was to convert fully, you know, w- what would I own? Like usury is, is a, is a sin. So I can't own fixed income. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this goes <laughs> like, this takes us into some interesting areas because I actually think the whole Islamic finance space is fascinating and quite Cool. Oh, because yeah. it pushes people into like kind of an equity orientation, and and it aligns interests, and it's about transparency, and and yeah, it's like an it's a constraint. You know, you can't you can't go and invest in things that make money from interest, um, but it's a useful constraint. You know, it, it's it's a constraint yep. to align your interests as an investor with the person you're giving the capital to, and you do that through equity frames or you know joint venturing type frames, but. Um, no, that's an interesting question. Maybe we'll do that. You know, that'll be another that'll be another episode when we dig into the Islamic finance question. Yeah, the fire and brimstone portfolio. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah, because I, I, I and I agree. Islamic finance is a really cool thing. It's like it kind of like is the cleanest and most prevalent uh, to me, uh, you know, kind of instance of how finance can change anything into anything. Right. Uh, you know, like the, it can change equity into debt for, on a cash flow basis, uh, you know, uh, or vice versa. It's like, it's just the coolest it's thing. It's true that, that there's the workarounds for that rule, not to, you know, to be Sharia compliant and not to charge interest are just as interesting as Islamic finances. You know, the, the, the structures <laughs> are so fascinating to see how they get around that. Um, you know, but, but interestingly, that whole world of, of Islamic finance was was partly how I got interested in prize link savings as a as a vehicle to catalyze personal savings because in uh, in those Islamic countries you can't pay interest 
on savings deposits. Got it. And so what do you do? How do you incent people to give you their money? Well, we give you prizes, but not everybody gets a prize. Only some of you get prizes. And so you're in there trying to win the prize. And that's the, that's the incentive that, that people have for putting money in a bank. When you, huh. when you can't pay somebody interest, you give them a chance to win a Mercedes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you just create something that's worth, uh, you know, the interest that you pay to an entire class of investors and give it out to one person. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, like, that's kind of what's so neat and so freaking queer about finance. Like you you could have 80, like, you know, if you go to, uh, you know, 60 countries, they'll all call their retirement savings account a different thing and they'll all accomplish, you know, basic savings objectives in completely different ways. Um, you know, and it'll be like this kind of sui generis thing, despite like trying to, you know, pursue this one very simple, very, uh, very global right. need. Uh, <laughs> and, and in case on that, that just as like a follow through, you know, we think about prize link savings today as being Sharia compliant way of encouraging savings, but the Islamic banks took the idea from, going all the way back to prize bonds in the UK. And so that notion is actually 300 years old. And it was, it was England trying to raise money to go invade France again. And, uh, and so they created these prize bonds to get a low cost of capital on debt to go wage war. And, and, and so so you would, they would pay, I think, I think they called it the million dollar adventure or something. And all these people would go in together with the hopes that they would win the million um, cause they were combining all the interest into a single payment to, to the winning bonds. Um, and so, you know, these things get, so cool. get repurposed and reused and, and I have to say, you know, I, there's going to be fintech companies emerging to bring it back to the national coming out day. I, I expect just like we're having fintech companies targeting millennials, I expect we're going to see, you know, savings products and fintech companies that are going to target this this community of LGBT. You you know you'd think so. I like I I thought there would be a space for like a queer to queer lender, right? At some point, you know, or or something like that. Because you know, there's not really did that you trademark much of a, that? Because that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe I should. Queer to yeah. Queer I, there you go. Get my get my lawyer on the phone. <laughs> uh, but like, I, you know, I, I you'd think that there was like, I mean, there's I think Christopher Street Financial is like a, a queer targeted uh, advisory firm. Um, and there are some like queer specific, uh, you know, financial planning concerns. But yeah, I mean, y- there's not so much like, a, you know, like a credit card that, you know, you can use that, you know, it would be materially different for, you know, the queer community. I, mean, I guess you could buy one, you could get one that like donates your points to HRC or something. Um, but it's kind of weird to think about like what that might actually look like, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like cash back on debit cards going to community things that you support. It's ETFs that are the opposite of the biblical ETFs that we were talking about. Um, yep. and, and then it's, you know, who knows what it is? I don't know what it is, but I could, I, I came up with two. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a hedge fund that launches activist campaigns to advance the gay agenda. Yeah, there you go. You know, like it's, I, I mean, I really like that idea. You take a big stake in like, uh, you know, like what's the worst company for LGBT rights? Who knows? But, uh, 
Chick-fil-A. There you go. Yeah, public. it's shorting Chick-fil-A. Although those chicken sandwiches uh, apparently have you know, been to, to a big stick, they're they're really good. I hate it's like I it makes me a bad queer to say this, but um I mean like look, when I used to work at CFA, there was a Chick-fil-A around the corner. It was re- people always got a kick out of scheduling the the CFA meetings at Chick-fil-A. Um and you know what? The sandwiches are great. Yeah. <laughs> they just are. Uh, you know, even if they hate me, whatever. Uh you know, I I can I can return that with love. Oh. You know, that's the that's that the, way. the way. Well, shorting the crap out of every single financial, uh, you know, thing that, that they're attached to. What else? <laughs> I don't know where to take that one. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, you know, for all y'all who, you know, have come out or thinking about coming out, uh, you know, I guess that the wisdom to, to, to leave is, you know, a lot of folks like, you know, are it's so scary in the outset, yeah. like as you're starting to come out, right? Like you're, you're just like, you're in this echo chamber. You, there's no possible way that you could know how things uh-huh. are going to be. Right. Um, but like, I, I know a lot of people who like re- regret the specific way that they came out. Like that I could have done that more artfully mm. or like, I mean, there's a lot of theater in it, which sucks. Um, you know? And so like, but you know, I don't actually know anyone who regrets coming out. That's interesting. It sounds like it's almost like right. a marriage proposal, right? It is yeah. that big moment in your life and, and you're making announcements. You can make an announcement one way or another way and, and people really make a big deal about it. And they ask you, you know, how what, did you do it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you, you know, you have like these, like I have, I found all these like, like a note I wrote to myself right before I did it and all this like really cute shit. Uh, you know, and the, it's like probably the scariest thing I ever did. Um, you know, but like if, you know, if you have, if someone out there happens to be thinking about it, um, you know, take the plunge. It's like, you know, marrying yourself Mm. almost to, uh, (laughs) you know, to go, to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, except there's no real risk involved that you'll turn yourself down. Yeah. That's awesome advice. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear your the story. You know, to hear you go through it and kind of how you dealt with it. I don't think anybody, I you know, in my world, we don't hear stories like that as often as we probably should to understand. You know, the the challenges and and um, kind of hurdles to get yourself to that point. So, congrats. Two well, years yeah, later, I, Con- thank two you. years later, good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I was like still really lucky, you know, and to be in like a situation where, you know, like my person I was reporting to literally ran a, you know, bringing women into investment management initiative at the time. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, direct results right there. Uh, I think I can remember your, you sent a tweet out. Yeah. And I think I responded yeah, it, to your tweet. And that was the very beginning. Well, I mean, we were friends yeah, before yeah, that, but, it, but that was, uh, yeah. that was the beginning of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it was like it, so many good things came into my life as a result of doing that. Um, and I mean, even just like, you know, I had never before had someone come up to me and be like, your energy is amazing. Hmm. Um, and I actually get that a lot now. Um, you know, which is like probably the best bull case for like living as yourself that I could possibly offer to anyone. Uh, <laughs> you know, cause like it, it, you know, when you're repressed, it comes across. Well, d- don't we all like strive for authenticity 
and and to be perceived as authentic and and so you are now right so so you've i guess (laughs) (laughs) i try yeah (laughs) but but like you're saying like you before that point you probably weren't authentically you know you weren't living the self that you are yeah there's a lot of multitasking that goes into being in the closet you know um and yeah it's so worth not doing um you know but oh holy shit <laughs> here we go that's uh just a just on a, a great transition time, <laughs> i'm all about artful transitions lots of people re, you know regret the way that they transition but no one regret regrets doing it um this it's time for dear right. ashby uh which is the segment of the it's the segment of the show where we uh take questions from listeners um and uh you know this this first question, I think, and you know, Dr. Monk here will answer okay. them. Um, this first question is is proof that we will actually ask the questions you send us. Um, <laughs> I think this person uh, is, <laughs> is kind of screwing us a little bit, but nevertheless, I, I think I'm my hovercraft is full of eels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think my hovercraft is full of eels. Will alternative data help me solve this problem? Absolutely, it will. Are you kidding me? <laughs> alternative. That's what. I'll, that's the. That's the top use case for alternative data. Look, uh, <laughs> eel identification. Well, it's it, okay. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take this for, <laughs> as if it's real, and say, look, alternative data. The best use for alternative data is risk management. And so, you know, we're for those that don't know, alternative data is data that's not conventionally used in in investment decision making if it's in finance, right? And so, we use that alternative data for a number of different things. We can use it to try to find things to invest in. We can use it to try to generate alpha by doing, you know, something that others aren't on on different information. Um, and all of those things are dangerous and kind of lead to an arms race. You know, if if we're all kind of after the same data. And we're going to use that data in order to make trades and we're seeking short-term profit from those trades. That's like a, an arms race. But the, the best use of alternative data is using data to better understand the assets you own or the assets you're thinking of owning. In that case, you're not in an arms race. You're literally just trying to get a better understanding of things. And so why the hell not? If you've got eels you know, in your hovercraft... <laughs> um, it, it's, it's kind of a perfect use case. I mean, when I'm giving a, a presentation on alternative data, I often talk about, um, an Island in the Pacific, because there's this old parable about an Island in the Pacific and the, the tide goes out and goes way out. Right. And, mm. and so the, the people, even though they live on an Island in the Pacific with, um, a volcano behind them, they're like, look, this is weird. Tide's gone way out. Maybe we should move up the mountain. And and so they're saved when the tidal wave comes in. And the notion of alternative data is that no two financial crises happen the same way. And so the idea that you're going to build a stress test or a scenario that, that gets you to a full understanding of the crises that are looming is ludicrous. You just won't get there. And so, you know, you need the equivalent of understanding that the tide is going out and that something is weird and there's some action you should probably take. You don't necessarily know what it is ahead of time. Um, and so, yeah, you know, eels. We can spot eels <laughs> with sensors. 
and help you understand when those sensors go off that you probably shouldn't go in your hovercraft for a little while. But can we can we uh, uh, ascertain where that reference came from uh, with alternative data? <laughs> we might be able to. Yeah, hovercraft full of eels. What, what is that one? You tell me. The, I, I'm pretty sure that's a Monty oh, Python reference. Um, the, yeah, there's this sketch. Um, I mean, assuming that this isn't just a very off the wall person, which I wouldn't put past our audience. But uh, the the there's this awesome episode where they're like. This person puts out a fake Hungarian to English, uh, you know, phrase book, um, and all these Hungarian That's people awesome. walk around London, you know, saying like going up to the like, my hovercraft is full That's of awesome. eels. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's so funny that you bring up first use of alternative data being Monty Python because. I was writing a paper yesterday. I do, as an academic, time to time do that. And we're talking, this paper is a little preview. We're writing a paper all about how the use of alternative data can lead to pension funds being manipulated. And so we're trying to help pension funds use this type of data because we want them to better understand the assets they're going to hold for a long time and not end up with eels in their hovercraft. And and yet we also, you know, don't want them to get taken advantage of or manipulated by bad actors. And the more alternative data, which is unconventional data you bring into your organization, the more vulnerable you come become to that type of manipulation. And that's coming. You're gonna see pension funds manipulated by bad actors. It's inevitable the more alternative data we bring in. And so rather than letting that happen and having a big catastrophe and then people not using alternative data or ESG data, we want to help them ahead yep. of time. And I was like trying to think of a, a, a case to explain like what we're talking about. And all I could come up with was trading places with Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd. When, if you remember the climax of that movie, the, the two old dudes are like trying to make some big trades on – on uh, orange juice futures and they end yep. up and they've got some alternative data coming in on the orange crop and Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd swap the folio that had the data. And so those guys go down to the trading floor and they start trading with their alternative data, but they've got the wrong data and Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd put those dudes out of business. And that is the kind of scenario that, uh, that I'm worried about, you know, the, the Eddie Murphy yep. getting getting revenge and and we laughed because those two old dudes were the bad guys, but those old dudes could easily have been a pension fund. Yeah, and if you get you know I guess false uh, you know kind of confidence in your decision you know based on bad data that's that's you know that's really risky. Uh, you wind up with no hovercraft at all in that situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just get eels, you just know, eels, which, which can't. Candidly, I really want a hovercraft now. After we've been thinking about it, that sounds like so much fun. Even if it is, yeah, me too. I think that's good. You're going to have a lot of choices, <laughs> hovercraft choices. It's in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. When when New York City floods due to irreversible climate change, uh, I will commute by hovercraft, perhaps. Uh, all right. Uh, here's the next question: <laughs> um, Is the singular "they" acceptable in professional uh, writing? From a technical standpoint, is it grammatically correct? I haven't seen it yet. Um, really? Not in, not, not in professional writing. So my profession is I'm an academic. And so I, I'm immediately throwing my brain into like the world of academic papers and journals. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the interesting thing is I find 
pronouns in academic writing to be fascinating because we often, you know, I'm not a pure economist. I don't publish in pure economics journals, but, but I write a lot in about economic geography and economic sociology and, and, you know, finance issues. And, and this, this dude, homo economicus or economic man is kind of often <laughs> referred. Such a homo. Yeah. <laughs> He's like cisgender, this dude. Um, it's gross. So we portray these people as, as he. And when you see an academic um, use the pronoun she, it does stand out. You know, you and, huh. and it happens a lot. And in fact, in, in my latest book with Dane Rook, we use that pronoun she quite a bit, just mixing it up. Right. Like, you know, we want people to edgy yeah. <laughs> and uh, we just want to mix it up and, and give everybody a sense that, you know, this could be you. Um, but yeah, when you see the she being used, I mean, I, I myself think, oh, this dude is or this person who's writing, it's usually a dude. and economics discipline. Um, but, but there's, um, you know, there is a sense that they are much more sensitive to the, the gender issues that are just prevalent in, in academia. And, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the Nobel prize stuff coming out all this week, but, but there's, you know, there's all this research to show how much, much gendered bias still exists in, in the Nobel kind of selection, especially in the sciences. So, um, I haven't yeah. seen they, I expect we will see they because many academics are fairly liberal and will, will want to give, um, kind of a broader, a broader kind of pronoun to bring everybody into the tent. Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 I use they, uh, you know, I mean, so my professional writing is more like, uh, I don't even know what, you know, I, I do these days, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it's more like emails to, you know, white men in office buildings, I guess. Um, but, but I use they almost exclusively just because it, it gets me past the, uh, you know, the he or she right. construction, which I, I find to be just so cumbersome and stupid. Um, you know, because it's like, you know, I get that you're trying to show, um, inclusion with that with that construction that people are trying to to show inclusion with that construction, but in making it something that jumps out and is an either yeah. or, uh, yep. you know what I mean? Like that's part of why what I love about it, um, you know. And also, I think that it's impossible to like be a queer trans person and not want to burn the entirety of gender down. So yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they helps do that. So uh, you know, my vote is use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I find you know it's interesting. English, at least, is a bit more friendly to yeah to the oh selection of your pronoun. Um, you know, I, I'm Canadian and as a French speaker, and I can tell you that it's uh, it's defined. You know, who, what you use for what, and um, and so there isn't the flexibility. So it's yeah, it's quite different. It's, I, I I have no. It's that's a big deal. I like I have no idea how gender neutrality works in like I, I mean in I speak Spanish and you see a lot of people using like Latin X instead of Latino yeah. Latino um in, in there. But uh yeah, it's you know, thank heaven for loosely gendered uh languages. Uh you know, yet another reason English is the best. Taking hold. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna catch it's gonna on catch this on. English. <laughs> um all right, so last all question. Right. This is 
This is like really, we're getting, this is like the existential edition oh. of the Free Money Podcast. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Um, there is nothing identifiably wrong with my portfolio. Should I be worried? <laughs> uh, t- okay, two reactions to that. First reaction, heck yeah. Um, you should be afraid, but but not because anything's wrong with your portfolio, but be, but Just because, because it's fear is, inspires hard work <laughs> and uh, you know a little bit of fear. Thought it was the mind killer. Fear. Uh, look, we as we humans exist because we had so much stress that pushed us to work our asses off to survive. So, so a little bit of fear probably gets you to do a little bit more homework on whether or not you're investing in the things that you think you are or paying fees in the way that you expect. So, so sure, be be afraid. But but then the second reaction I had is um, absolutely not because um, people who are too afraid end up overreacting and, and doing dumb things. So, um, you know, be afraid, but yeah. but don't be so afraid that you then actually go buy or sell things that, that create transaction costs and, you know, the short-term capital gains and all the things that end up kind of eroding value over the long time and prevent the magic of compounding. You know, we don't give investment advice, but we, we do say... <laughs> <laughs> buy stuff you love and that matches up with your beliefs and just hold that stuff for just about ever it's so long as it's not a bible that's etf sweet sweet oh my gosh yeah i mean well i mean because that's not who could who could ever love that a face uh you know only uh uh i would say even a mother could love um the, <laughs> uh, but uh yeah i mean like i i guess you know if if you if one is too like worried that a portfolio is boring i guess you know that might be um you know someone who wants to live in the action uh movie version of investing where you know the screen you know one has mm. 17 screens on the desk and you know i mean i guess i say this is someone with three screens on my desk so i should probably <laughs> uh you know but like the but yeah i mean chill out it's yeah. okay don't don't do anything yeah don't don't do anything <laughs> you have a portfolio and it's invested in stuff just trust that when you made those decisions, you weren't crazy and let it ride. Just let it ride. <laughs> unless you, unless you were someone buying like, Uber, Lyft, and you went, you know, you took a bunch of leverage and now they're down 50%. Other than that, there's, there's, a, there's a listener out there who hasn't slept for 17 days and is like, oh, okay, this is fine. This is fine. This is good. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that about does so I, it for us today. Yeah, what that's great. Think, Ash? Um, I think uh, we'll chat to you guys all soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, This wasn't investment advice, but we love you just the same. Bye. Bye.